three people on my team didn't even know that we had Monday off and two people did because there were seven different calendars. I heard this last week. I heard this last week from a company that says to be remote first. Welcome everybody to this next episode of The Future is Remote. I am your host, Kenneth Hellam, the self-proclaimed remote evangelist. Every now and then you meet these people that you know you just have to have a deeper conversation with. And one of those people is Darcy Bowles. We spoke a couple of weeks back and then we immediately agreed we have to do this podcast together. So Darcy is a future of work thought leader, culture architect, and remote experience designer. She was leading remote teams before it was a thing. And I'm not trying to date you or put an age on you or anything, but you're a dinosaur in this industry. You have so much real life <laughs> experience that it's an honor to be able to have you on the show. So welcome everybody, Darcy Bowles. Awesome. Thank you so much. And oh man, you are dating me, but that's okay. It's funny. A dinosaur in this industry is definitely um, not even that old, which is wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still colors, right? It's not in the black and white days or anything like that. Yeah. All right. We had a, like I said, we had an amazing conversation last time we spoke. I learned so much from it and I want to make sure that our listeners also has an opportunity to learn from you. But like we said, you had eight years of experience in this field. Like most people started talking about remote during a recent pandemic. But you've been doing it way before. Why is this so important to you? Yeah, so for me personally, I'll start there, is that my deepest why is that work doesn't have to suck. And I could probably say that more eloquently. I really think that work could be awesome in a lot of ways. And that also means that it doesn't have to be challenging or hard, but it, it doesn't have to be terrible, which we've kind of labeled work and the office and kind of the industrial revolution, the way that work has been built off of, of that movement for a long time. And I just see and feel such a deep opportunity for diversity, for thought leadership, for the ability to have access to talent all over the world, for economic development, for people to have the freedom to live their best lives and do the best work of their career. And I deeply believe that there's a win-win for everyone in the future of work. And you make it sound so natural, like this is already happening, but for 95% of the population, work does suck, right? It does. It does. And I guess about eight years ago, I, it was the first time I ever entered the, I would say, more corporate workforce. And there were some great things about where I was working. And there were also things that didn't really align with who I am in terms of I'm not really a city person. It was really hard for me to be in cities a lot of the time and be able to do my best work. I get really distracted. I'm highly sensitive. And that has nothing to do with the company itself. It just has to do with, I want to be able to give the best of myself if I'm working somewhere. So why not do it in a place that really sparks that creativity and, and ingenuity? And like you said, building your own lifestyle, deciding when and where and how to work combined with doing something that you're passionate about. Everybody wins. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Too easy. <laughs> I know, right? It sounds way easier than it is, but I think there's definitely like a, a hierarchy of needs there. So you've been through this journey. You've worked in remote companies. You've seen remote cultures in enterprises, and now you've decided to kind of go off and consult. What is it you do? Yeah. So right now I am dipping my toes into the consulting world. Um, been asked over the past kind of one to two years by a lot of people who were reactionary to the remote. Like so many companies that are out there right now, they had an office. Now they're saying, are we going to keep it? Maybe not. We need to transition onboarding from office first to remote first. That's very different. People are saying their culture is broken now that they've gone remote. Well, guess what? 
remote actually just revealed your culture. And so I think that those are the things that I'm really helping companies with right now is understanding what are the steps that we need to take to help people build the muscle of remote first working. Everything from just helping engagement in the employee experience to really getting people to that state of nirvana of helping their employees design their life around their work because they've hit that asynchronous communication kind of stage. So it's a long process from hire to retire. And so many companies are at such different stages in the process. So I'm really dialing in and finding out where the companies are at and then helping them solve the problems depending on what stage they're in. A culture architect is the way you describe yourself. It's a big word. How is that perceived by your customers? Yeah, so culture architecture is really about building a culture through values and rituals and shared language. The word, I think, can sound scary to my clients or to anyone out there to start, what does that mean? But it gets their attention, right? It gets their attention. And one of the things that I'll hear from people as, oh, we're doing a happy hour and that's helping keep our culture together. Okay, great. (laughs) Love that you're doing that. Love that for you. But that's not necessarily architecture. Looking at, especially companies that were in the office first, what were the things that kept them together? What were the rituals? Was there maybe a uniform where people would wear the same sort of swag? Is there a shared language of acronyms? Are there these things that people felt or feel in a remote environment and not assuming that people who come into that environment who haven't touched it before understand what those things are? So that kind of helps get people in the right place. And I help them say, okay, let's write that down. How do we write that down and onboard people into the environment that you say exists? That's great. You experience in the office, but I'm not sure you're really experiencing it now that the office is gone. So really writing down that culture and understanding what do the walls look like? What are the pillars? Really, what's holding the house up? And those are the core values. And does each room match one another? And how do we create that structure so the house and the bones are good to be able to scale? But how do you do that? Because I get the picture. like It's architectural in my mind. It looks beautiful. But how do you actually write down culture? Yeah, a big part of it is research. It's asking your team. I'm a big believer that your people have all the answers and the data already exists. And sometimes it's asking a subset of really important questions is, what does it feel like to work here? Where do you experience the values that we say that we have? Can you give me examples of moments? Are there any rituals that have stuck with you since you worked here, whether it was through onboarding or learning and development or leaving? And I think really surveying and researching through whatever, you know, it could be as easy as a Google form and it could be as complex as integrating this into your quarterly surveys with whatever survey platform you're using. I think gathering data is the number one piece because it won't work if your leaders just say, this is our culture, guess what? (laughs) And nobody else has actually said that's the way that they feel too. I've heard, and I like this definition, that culture is the average of everybody's values. Absolutely. And I would elaborate a little bit on that and say it's also the collective consciousness of what everyone in your company says, feels, thinks, and does. That makes a lot of sense. So what are some of the mistakes or mishaps you've seen organizations do when transitioning into remote? I think the number one thing that I see 
is that many companies are repeating the behaviors and the scheduling and the meetings and everything that they did in the office. They're taking the additional time that people now have from not having to commute and just expecting people to be online from the time they wake up to the time the sun goes down. And that's not necessarily at the fault of the company. It's just without thinking about and investing in a redesign or re-architecture of how the behavior showed up in the office is a muscle to build. And I think that's the number one mistake I see is really just trying to repeat what worked in the office will not work. And I think that's a key insight because it's too easy to just take what you've always done because it's what you've always done and try to repeat it. If you're going to get to the benefits, the real kind of value of remote work, then you need to think differently. You absolutely have to think differently. And the other key is you have to be willing to behave differently. Those are two different things. I think willingness and growth mindset are really the two kickers. If your leadership team is going to be able to shepherd a company into a remote first ecosystem, those two things have to be true for that to happen. I don't want to say we have to convince leaders, but I think the leaders have to be convinced that it's the right thing to do because if not, they're going to fall back to their typical behaviors. Absolutely. And people will follow the leader. And in hybrid companies, already seen it multiple times. There's a leadership team that says, no, we're not going to do this, but we're going to allow for a subset of our employees to be remote, but we're going to work from the office. Here comes location bias. They're only really meeting and building relationships and operating in an office first environment. The people at home are now feeling left out. And so that's a really important distinction in how important it is for leaders in companies where employees are really asking for this flexibility to live that flexibility as well and model that. One of the things that, that I often say is that hybrid is a necessary evil. And what do I mean with that? I think in-person office culture has worked and we know how that should work. And fully remote teams, they're figuring out how that should work. But if you have to go hybrid, if you're saying, okay, parts of the team is going to be in the office, parts of the team are going to be able to work remote, suddenly you need to account for two different ways of working. Have you seen hybrid work? And do you have any tips for how to get hybrid to work? I think that we're still in the depths of the mud as a society in hybrid work. I, I tend to liken it to um, two different songs playing at the same time, and nobody likes hearing that. At least I don't. It, it makes my brain want to explode. And I think it becomes a lot more confusing for employees. There's, I was talking to a CEO the other day of a cybersecurity company, and he was saying, well, I'm trying to decide if my employees should come in on Mondays and Wednesdays and they can pick the last day. What should I do? And I said, I think you should just pick all three days that they're coming in because what happens is like, oh, well, if I don't come in on the day everybody else is coming in, maybe I'm not really showing up. And then they're confused. They're not understanding kind of the framework in which the freedom that they can be within. So I really think that, yes, it can work, but there really needs to be a definition and rules of the road mapped around that. Maybe some teams all work in the office certain days. And then some teams work fully remotely, inclusive of their leadership teams. And then you got to think about, is there a head of remote? Is there a COO that's looking at both realms and we're creating one company, but two experiences? So yes, it can be done. It's much harder. 
you said a word, you mentioned a title, and this is something I'm personally very interested in uh, and something you have experience with, head of remote. What does a head of remote do? So I would say your head of remote is your company concierge. It's your grand central station. It's the glue or the duct tape holding your company together. So that position really needs to be invested in if you're a company that is looking to be a leader in remote. And why is that? Many companies I've talked to recently are saying, we have no process for this. We have 10 different tools. It worked when we were in the office because we go talk to one another, but now we're remote. Three people on my team didn't even know that we had Monday off and two people did because there were seven different calendars. I heard this last week. I heard this last week from a company that says to be remote first. My mind was blown. So what that head of remote does is audit, right? The first thing that person does is come in and audit. Where are we, where is the company not being assimilated to? Mapping that employee experience of every moment of where people need to be connecting aligning it with the customer experience and seeing the heartbeat in between the two of what processes need to be put in place, what tools can be consolidated or entered into, what kind of language can we map around, how do we onboard people into the culture that we have, and really serving as that strategic partner, whether it be on the executive team or on a director level. It's a highly cross-functional role that really helps with the catch-all and scalability of designing a remote first organization. So what skills do you need to become a head of remote? What profiles are good for this? Yeah, so I would say a lot of skills are very transferable in this realm. I think somebody who's very observant, who has a high level of sensitivity, so can kind of understand language and written communication in a very objective way. Someone who really has a background, whether it be in behavioral science or positive psychology, so understanding trends of behaviors is a huge piece of this, organizational psychology. Anyone who also understands anthropology or sociology, rituals. Can you codify rituals? Can you look at language? Can you see where people are connecting? Do you understand the basic human needs and how to design for it? So I'd say off the cuff, those are a few kind of skill sets. Also, somebody who's really good at documentation mm. and using a tool in the best possible way. So you're looking for a little of everything. You touched on soft skills. You're touching on hard skills. Yeah. You're touching on philosophical skills. I know. <laughs> Sounds like a unicorn. But I know a few great head of remotes out there, and I would definitely say there's going to be quite a few more that are going to come out of the woodworks in the next few years, realizing how transferable their skill sets are. And that's really the key. Does that person have the value of wanting to make an organization strategically better and easier to work in? I think that makes a lot of sense because in a startup, like small team, limited resources, it still needs to be a focus. You might not afford or have the luxury of having a full person do that, but somebody should have the responsibility and accountability. Absolutely. If you've gotten to 100 without this role thus far, you're building kind of a first company already, hire this person now if you didn't have them before. Because that's really around the point that anyone on your people team or anyone in your operations team will probably outgrow this role and you will need somebody on the pulse, be updating the documentation and integrating everything that's happening with the company strategy. Hundreds of big number. I would be guessing that you'd need this earlier, but like I said, it's a startup. You might not be able to. 
Exactly. I'm saying that's going to be the latest that you're going to want to hire this person. And I want to give people some wiggle room understanding budget wise. I mean, if you can hire this person at 30, you are in a great position. But if you're past 100 and haven't done it, I'd seriously start be looking at your headcount for it now. Yeah. And if you think of it in terms of investment instead, I'd say probably around when you're preparing for a Series A, you're going to get some money, yeah. you're, you're going to prepare to scale, you know, you're going to be recruiting, growing your team. This is probably a time where you need to think consciously about how you do this. Absolutely. And if you're not a CEO or founding team or core team that isn't strong in documentation and, and writing down your processes, hire them as part of your founding team. Okay, let's end it with a piece of advice. I always want to leave the listeners with something that they can take, something they can implement today. Let's take this from a founder perspective. If you are a company, a startup, going remote, making the transition from in-office, from hybrid, towards this nirvana of remote that we're talking about, what is your key advice for that journey? Manage your psychology. That's something I heard recently and I thought was so important. Founders managing their own psychology and looking at themselves and saying, am I, am I presenting the behaviors that I want to see in the company that I'm building? So that's my big piece of advice. <laughs> so that comes back to culture and values, right? Knowing yeah. what that culture and value is, what you want to build, what already exists, and then living it. Yeah, exactly. And I'll give a real life example of this. The company I was working for had been remote prior to the pandemic. I sat in a very similar role to head of remote. And we were watching a lot of newer employees start to apologize when their kids were walking in the room saying, okay, hold on. We've said this is a company that's based on trust and a lot of, you have a lot of freedom. There's framework, but you have a lot of freedom in it and kids are totally welcome. That's fine. But no matter how many times anyone said that, there, I still saw the sorries come out. And so we said, how are we going to change this? So we asked our CEO, hey, would your son be willing to host one of the company calls? And the next company call, his six-year-old son hosted the call with his assistants and immediately that unlocked the permission of the environment that the leadership team wanted to see. So it can be as simple as that. You're not just saying that children are okay and encouraged, you're putting them center stage. Yeah, and you're saying, look, I mean, your kids aren't gonna run every meeting, but it's okay to have a family here. It's okay to be authentic here. It's okay to be a human. With that, I think we're gonna round it up for today. Darcy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Cheers, thanks, Kenneth. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the delightful Darcy Bowles. If you enjoyed this show, the number one thing you can do to support us is to hit that share button and go post it on your social media. My name is Kenneth Helen, and you are listening to The Future is Remote. <laughs>